0: Well, good morning, it was 1977, (laughs) a little history lesson here for you, 1977, Jimmy Carter was sworn in as the President of the United States, New York City had this historic blackout that lasted over 24 hours and shut the whole city down, Uh, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley gave his final concert and passed away. The Atari 2600 was released. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, my cousins had one of those, and they were the coolest people on the planet. So, <laughs> Revolutionized home entertainment, the home video game system. The Trans-Alaskan oil pipeline was completed. Oil flowed from Alaska down to the mainland for the first time ever. Seattle slew won the Triple Crown in horse racing. Rocky was the Best Picture winner. The Eagles released Hotel California. There we go. And the U.S. population hit 216 million people. But it was something else in 1977 that happened that had this profound impact on the world. And when this happened, when this started, the world was never the same again. (laughs) I promise Jim put that in without my knowledge. <laughs> uh, you guys know me too well for that. <laughs> it was a, here in Grants Pass that a, a group of families started getting together in, uh, in some living rooms, in the living room of Merle and Grace Lee, and before long that group grew. And grew and eventually they had to move out of the living room and down the road here of Redwood Avenue into the Grange Hall where they met for a couple of years. But it was on November 14th, this past Tuesday, the anniversary, 1977, uh, that the official charter was signed and Redwood Christian Church became a reality. And over the last 40 years, Redwood has grown And it's regressed, and it's grown, and it's regressed. It's gone through the same cycles that so many other churches in the world have gone through. But over that time and through those cycles, one thing has stayed constant with Redwood, and that it's always had this commitment, this unwavering commitment to make an impact in its area and in its world for Jesus In fact, as we talked this week, that was one of the very first things that the church was founded for because we needed a a church that could make an impact here in Grants Pass. And so many people were driving to Central Point or over to Medford or wherever, so they they formed a church right here. And it's fun to sit and look back. And often we sit and look where we are right now. And and in my role, I'm often looking ahead, looking at what's coming next. But all these things, all these factors go in, and, and it just makes us ask the question what makes a great church? What leaves the heritage of a great and an impactful church? And what I want to do today is just take a few minutes and kind of look at what's brought us to this point and look at where we're headed next as we kind of answer that question. So as we look at where we've come from and we look at where where we've gotten to where we are today, there's a couple of things to me that stick out. First, we need to honor the past without worshiping it. We look back at where we've come from to where we are today, we need to honor the past without worshiping it. What do I mean by that? What's that look like? It means it's okay to point out some people who have done some amazing things in the history of this church. It's okay to to talk about the people who have brought us to where we are today and remember them and to honor them. In Romans 15, Paul says, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, what was written and what's happened in the past is so that we can look forward, so that we can move on, but we look back and we remember all of those things. It means we celebrate the past and we keep it in perspective, but it's okay to celebrate the past. It's okay to look at who came before to help put us in this position we're in. Back in the early days of the Israelites, as they were, were, were moving from, from Egypt uh, through the desert into the promised land, Moses had been leading them. And then Moses dies, and, and Joshua comes along as the new leader of the church, or new leader of, of the nation of Israel. And it would have been easy for, for Joshua to say, hey, I'm in charge. Forget about Moses. I'm in charge now. He was great, but he's gone. Now It's me. But he tells the Israelites this, Joshua chapter 1. He says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, has commanded you. Saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and he will give you this land. He looks back and he remembers. He doesn't say, hey, he's gone, forget about him. He remembers the past. He honors the heroes of the past. So you can honor the past without worshiping. Second, you have to have committed people. This church was founded with committed people, and when I say committed people, it doesn't have to be anything special. You don't have to be Bible college trained or polished, or or you know this just this real faith. You just have to be willing, and willing to commit, willing to follow the gospel and commit. In Acts chapter 4, uh, the church is just getting going, and Peter and John uh, are are two of the the top leaders in the church, and they're referred to by some of the establishment as just very ordinary, unschooled, average people. That's all they are. They're just like we are. They're just people who are willing to follow the gospel of Jesus and willing to spread it around and make an impact in their world. See, what they understood was this truth that God needs to be in control and we're going to follow him. And so they did. And they understood this very true concept that applies to us today just as much as it applied to them back then. It's this, God's power plus God's people leads to extraordinary things. When you put God in front and you get out of his way and let him lead, man, anything is possible. The Apostle Paul, who was Bible college trained, who did go to seminary, who had the scriptures memorized and and could break it all down, he could preach like anybody else, man, he, he understood this. And he says this in Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And Redwood has had some amazing people out in front since its beginning. Some of those are still here, committed to the vision from day one. They're still here, they're still active. This past week, I got the chance to sit down with a few of them, and just talk a little bit about what it was like in the early days and how they followed Jesus from the very beginning. So let's let's check this out. We're sitting here at Redwood Grange Hall, where the church really kind of got going. Started in some living rooms, but then it met here and uh, with some of the, the, the founding members as well, too. So what I want you to do to start off, just say your name and 35 years ago, what you were doing for a job or what you were doing in life, just just uh, to kind of set the base for where we're at today. So Grace, to we'll start with you.
1: I am uh, Grace Ely. I was working for McGregor's Hallmark, and I was serving on the school board.
0: Okay.
2: Merle Ely, and I was uh, self-employed. Sure. Jack Booth, and uh, I worked extra equipment, building, design. I'm Ed Um uh, I was an escalating contractor, and Merle Ailey taught me everything I know. You <laughs> <laughs> still won't know it am <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still working on it. <laughs>
3: I'm Shirley Onby, and um, I was his bookkeeper for a very short time, and I'm raising kids. I'm Karen McCormick,
4: and I was working for the post office, and it was a substation on Redwood Avenue.
5: Jack McCormick, and I was a plywood mill worker. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, too, before we go on with this, how many of you guys became Christians or gave your life to the Lord here? Okay, so see, that, that's pretty neat. The fact this church started, and you guys helped start it, as you were becoming believers, is just, that's even more incredible. We didn't
2: we didn't have a baptistry here at the uh, Grange Hall, so Merlin Grace, they loaded myself and several of us up in the motorhome. We went all over to Ashland to to, to get baptized for me to get baptized. And uh yeah. Eric Eric kate was <coughs> there. Uh, yeah. And, and I uh, was baptized in Central
4: Point, and he Central was baptized the first yeah. Christian.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And my girls were baptized in so mm-hmm. Central Point. Mm-hmm. Thinking back kind of over the last last forty years, and especially back early on, uh, what were kind of one or two keys uh, so why God blessed this church? So you can think of. I mean, if you think back through that, why why the church prospered early on and why it grew and then continued to grow?
4: My biggest thing is love. This church started yeah. with
3: Merle loving this man, and that continued while we were meeting here because the group—I can't even remember what they're called now—that they would come over and sing. They 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 would sing the song about oh, love. Gospel. Yeah, gospel hymns. Yeah. Um, it just, this church has been accepting and loving. I mean, that's it. We love, and we don't. We try not to judge. I mean, I'm quite sure there's been times that we've felt it, but we get rid of it because love is a foundation. God gave us love, and we have to give it back. This guy
2: right here taught me so much about judgment. You know, he said, you're just not, and I, and I was, He's very young Christian, and I was, you know, I think I was 25 when I accepted the Lord, someone in, and, said, you know, that's not your, your business to judge what they right. do, and even though in your business you judge that you do a good job, you judge this, and, you, and to learn not to be judgmental and to love people more. Uh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think every uh, I see is that the um, or felt that we were all everybody was involved yeah. and I think a lot of that goes back to Wayne mm-hmm. yeah. um, he got me to do things that I would never and even today I probably wouldn't do and that there was teaching yeah. uh, uh, calling on somebody you know I was I was sort of shy or backwards or something, I don't know what but in a way...
5: Getting uh... well, close. D-
1: I just feel like from the very beginning, way back, God had a plan. And I just felt like everything that we all saw fall into place um, had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with God having a plan and using us as those vessels that. Um, brought about what you know but it was it was so clear and Wayne was kind of a type a excitable you know guy and he just had us all excited yep. right from the beginning you know the the excitement and the love and the the, the very very strong feeling that God was just totally in control
3: and I have one more thing that has impressed me through the years and it's after we were in our the church now and and I think it was when we were getting ready to buy the property next door and we had the meeting and, and I just I still get goosebumps thinking about that the money came exactly what we needed exactly and that was God that yes. was God saying, yes, this is what you need to do." Mm-hmm. and through our whole time, there have been those things that, that we just you can feel the spirit working with us through us for us mm-hmm. and
1: um, well the original yeah. property was that way yeah. The, the original small building was on. Uh, OCEF came down with a check and it was just almost exactly the amount yeah. to pay it off and then I was reading in the minutes there that uh, the money came in to complete that, that funding yeah. and you know it just it seems like OCEF came through two or three times for us and it seemed to be just the right amount. It, just, it wasn't by accident.
0: It's amazing what happens when we get out of God's way. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah.
4: That's how Jack accepted the Lord. I got out of God's way. You
0: know, we
5: talk about love, and there was so much love within the church, this group of people that had stoned in me. But even beyond that, not knowing anything about Christianity, and you begin to hear and be taught about faith in itself, and I was the kind of person that had to touch or see or to know faith, just to accept faith. And it was just accepted around me with this group of people that taught me what really faith was—to believe in something that uh, you didn't see visually or touch physically or something like that. That was hard for me to overcome, and so that's what I learned here was to have faith in God. He could build anything.
0: So, what uh, What are some of the lessons or some of the people um, that had the most impacts on you guys and on this church, kind of early on in those first few years? I
3: I have grown up in the church. I was third grade when I was baptized and grew up beside a grandma who, you know, just set me at her feet. But up until Wayne, I had ministers on a pedestal. I didn't think of them as people. I thought of them as, you know, right there next to God. And Wayne showed me, taught me, Mm -hmm. that he is a man too. You are men too who just, who have families, who same things that we go through and at that point I'm
5: going,
3: whoa all right
4: (laughs) I cried one day I was the treasurer or whatever we called it then and we were paying him $25 a week (laughs) and we had a little sniff going on in the congregation and he said to me and we prayed and he said to me how can a family of 40 at that time get along when a family of five can have disagreements. It's okay. We will recover because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that was good for me. Amen. <laughs> well,
1: I think um, one of the things that I was so impressed with was the willingness of the elders at Central Point because Wayne was their yeah. full time pastor. Yeah. And the willingness and the encouragement that they gave Wayne to reach out to us uh, because when we were paying him twenty-five. A week he was coming over here for the early service and he was driving to Central Point for their service yes and yep. then he was coming over uh, for our Bible studies midweek, week and um, the elders were very much in favor of that and when it came time for us to ask if we could have him full-time they willingly um, said yes um, they knew that it would take somebody strong um, and somebody that was familiar with the group that had formed and um, they were willing to give him up, and I just
5: thought that was... Uh, Merle called me one morning when we were still meeting oh, here. But he said it's about. Could you go with me? I want to look at where... So I'm going to show you some property. And so we drove up there on the church, and it was an old rugged road, kind of went up the upper end of it, and uh, couldn't hardly get the doors open to his truck. And this ground, just like this, you know, and blackberries and brush and everything. And that's what you wrote We got about. out. And he was showing me where this land... And what could be done, you know, we could take this dirt, and we could just put some drain to you. Yeah. And I, when he talked, he was just alive. He was just excited. And I couldn't, you know, I said, and we were meeting down here and we couldn't even pay the preacher sometimes, you know, and they're talking about <laughs> buying <laughs> land and building a church. I said, I didn't say it, but my <laughs> mind, you're <ran. laughs> crazy, you know, things like that. He no, told me know. you were crazy. It was. <laughs> you know just think they could pull something like that off and just out of the world, you know, they're just wishing, and uh, I I said it's it'd be impossible and then i like, dad we'll just look around you know, it wasn't impossible for God Yeah.
2: one thing I'd like to mention that uh, Clarence Snyder was a a great person uh, back years ago he used to spend, oh my gosh, days and weeks out there working on the church, you know, and we're building the church and he was out there on this big roller compactor, and we would put in granite in inside. We had the kind of the foundation uh, blocks around the edges, and we roll rolling the granite out there and get it all compacted, get ready for concrete, and then in the area where the sanctuary is now. And and uh, I, I guess he was probably just sleeping or daydreaming or something, and he just <laughs> rolled right through the foundation of the wall and drove right over top of it, just smashed it. And of course, you know, he felt so
0: bad. <laughs> you know, of course, we all just laughed and laughed and laughed. You know, and it was all repairable. You know. Grace mentioned something to me the other day about those very first few meetings in, in their house. Mm-hmm. How that was Wayne was very particular at getting the kids involved, yep, having absolutely. the kids pray, the kids read scripture. And they probably didn't even know what they were doing at the time and at you know, three, four, five years old. But you mentioned Tracy was one of them sitting yep, around that Sharon
4: was one. I mean, Jimmy was one. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness.
1: Well, everybody was patient with them, patient. sounding out the words or us helping them sound them out. You know, nobody. It didn't seem to matter. It it was so important that the kids be involved. And it goes back to everybody was needed. And those kids, probably all
0: of them are in church today. So looking ahead, what are some words of advice and encouragement that you guys, as part of the founding crew, uh, would give to that next generation, to the younger families, to those teenagers, to those, those kids that are growing up, in the church what are some words of advice or encouragement that you would give to them uh, so that we can come back and do this again in another 40 years
1: I would say stay, stay connected with those kids keep them in church make that a number one priority um, growing up and it was a different generation when we grew up but and I, I grew up in the church I was born to Christian parents and they didn't openly talk about prayer being answered or they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit because that might mean the, a, a different kind of uh, worship and so they didn't ever mention that um, and, and today we're very free to openly talk about all of that and talk about the things that they're going to confront at school and, and have them prepared with answers and um, keep them there don't, don't make church a choice for them um, when they're little, because when they get big, they will make it a choice if they can. But um, if, you know, I I look at all of our kids, it wasn't even a question of whether we're gonna go to church today, Uh, we were. And uh, the kids count that as one of their biggest blessings.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. Teenagers do a lot of things, we all know that as they're growing up, and uh, as families, I think that they need to be taught that no matter what happens, you are there for them. You might not like what they've done, but you're there for them, and they can always come to you. My biggest thing uh, as I
4: sit in church and hear older people is, to, to, this is to the my generation, remember it's not about us, it's about our youth, it's about the young people. We will flate away like Jerry Bissarud, like an Snyder, all these super super people, but it isn't about us.
3: It's about your children. It's about Kurt's little ones coming up. I just think as the younger generation or the millennials or whatever, even the ones that are coming after, we as grandparents or great-grandparents just need to listen to them and talk to them and encourage them. without judging that they're, I mean, to them, their music's great. So, you know, they're getting something out of it. But we need to to be flexible enough to remember that we did the things we did and our grandparents weren't that crazy about it. And it's going to happen through time, but we still love them. We still love them. We still encourage them.
0: I do want to thank you guys for, number one, taking the time to do this today. Uh, but number two, just for your faithfulness to the church from the very beginning, uh, knowing that there were some some hard times early on, I and mean, there were some times to grind it out. And, and I think Jackie, you said it earlier. Uh, Couldn't you pray, pay the preacher this week? Uh, <laughs> but just for your your dedication, for your faithfulness, uh, and for your perseverance, because. We wouldn't be where we are today without what you guys started uh, 40 years ago. What you guys trusted God for uh, 40 years ago. If um, just real quick, if you were in the church when it started, would you stand? If you were here when the church started, would you would you stand real quick? That's, uh, thank you guys. You guys can have a seat. It's, uh, you know, I got got to meet with with seven out of that crew, and and we sat down at the Grange Hall last uh, Wednesday morning for about an hour and a half, and uh, then somehow I had to fit an hour and a half worth of stuff into a 15 minute window. So, um, but just thank you to all of you guys and to everybody else, especially those of you younger. I mean, look at, at this crew, because what you see there, I hope, is an encouragement. Of what it looks like to be all in, because these people were all in, and they trusted God. And, and, and I mean, Jack said it a couple of times. We think we can pay the preacher this next week, and um, so the faithfulness for them, the faithfulness for the, the leadership of the church early on, and and uh, man, the faithfulness for the church in Central Point that really helped to launch launch this one here too. So I asked Bob to join me. Um, Bob, uh, if, if you don't know, was uh, the pastor here from. Uh, 1989 to 2004. I won't tell you how old I was during that stretch. Um, but uh, I was in college when it concluded. And I was almost done with college the first time when it <laughs> concluded. So, uh, uh, but I asked Bob to come up here and just share. Because Bob, we kind of heard from that crew from the beginning. And, and Bob was in the middle. And, and then now, now here's, here we're on the other end of this. So, so Bob kind of bridged years about what, 15 to, to 25, 30-ish, somewhere in that range, kind of the middle of this church. So, so what I wanted to ask Bob about today was, as he kind of looks at, at the past of this church, and especially around, around his time, what is it, in your opinion, that makes a great church what it can become? And remember, we have a, a 10-minute window.
6: How did that work for us in early service?
0: We slugged through in about 25 minutes, so
6: just brace yourself. Okay, here we go. Well, thank you to those that were on the video and those who were not on the video for the sacrifice that it takes to launch a new church. It is not easy. Uh, In fact, three, this is three weeks, three weeks ago today, um, OCEF, with the help of one of our church plants from 18 years ago, New Beginnings in Medford. ...launched Upward Christian Church in Medford three weeks ago today. And that's a large part of what you've been doing for 40 years. And so I guess i got to piggyback on a little bit. This church exists because God sent Jesus. And Central Point sent Wayne Osborne. And this church has sent countless people... Since then, and there's been churches started, Bob Friends here, who's who helped take a church out of Cottage Grove that was going to close, and uh, over 200 baptisms in the last 11 years yeah. up there, and that that's uh, a God thing, folks. So what makes a, a church a great church? Let me tell you, I'll give you the negative first, uh, sometimes I think in that realm. Um, too many churches... It, by the way, I'm, I'm working with that OCEF group, Oregon Christian Evangelistic Fellowship. We plant churches and we also rescue churches and we've been taking on, we have two churches right now that we're wanting to close and we're begging them not to close, God's got a bigger future for them. But as we look at what, let me, t- I'll put it this way. Too many churches forget that the church is the body of Christ and we exist to carry out the purpose of the head And so many times, people, when people get together, we forget that, and we start thinking that somehow this is going to be a great club. A club exists for the wants, needs, or whatever of the members. And if you listen to our founding families, this church was not started for their wants and needs, but the needs of Jesus and the next generation so that they would know him. So I'll I'll piggyback on that and just say what makes a great church is that the body, the church, carries out the purpose of the head. And we've said it many times, it's very simple. Seeking and saving the lost. We are here because somebody else thought that that was important. And the next 10 generations will be here because we thought that was important to carry out what Jesus came to do. And so a great church, I guess I would say is a sending church. God sent Jesus. Jesus sent out his apostles. And we continue with that theme over and over and over. And how Jack McCormick, I'm just going to pick on you because you are the one making fun of everybody. So I'm going to, I'm going to. Jack, how old are you right now? Uh, 79. So you were, let's see, let's count back. That was 39 years old, 39 years old. You were a kid. I think, I think he was kind, kind of, of an old kid. man in thirty-nine. <laughs> well, to me, that's, uh, never mind. That's a kid. But that is what makes a great church, and it, we can't get stuck. We can't get stuck doing what we do today. They didn't. We can't do it today. I'm praying that our great grandchildren won't get stuck that they'll be thinking to the next two or three generations also, and what it's going to take to bring Jesus into their life.
0: You didn't steal my points to what's coming next this time, so thank you. He kept scolding me, and (laughs) I kept
6: saying, it needs to be this. Well, he he, he... he
0: gets up and tells a story about a a preacher who got up and and kind of stole somebody's point. That derailed him, and I said, well, you're doing that to me right now. So um, he pretty much finished the sermon for me up here during first service, so so thank you for, for saving me a little bit. Um, part. <laughs> you you kind of hit on that a little bit, but as we move forward, because part of today is to honor the past but to spring into the future. So, as we move forward, what's an advice you give to leaders of churches and to churches uh, now moving forward to continue to make an impact in, in their area, in their world for Jesus?
6: Yeah, in 10 <laughs> minutes, two minutes. We've yeah, already said you've, it.
0: you've already used seven. You've yeah. got three. We're I'm watching already, the clock. We've already sure.
6: said it. So I, I'll, I'll put it this way. If we want there to be a church 10 years, 20 years, 40 more years from now, we need to look at our youth that are here today. And I've heard it stated many times in my life where people have said the youth are the church of tomorrow. And I want to tell you they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. If they're old enough to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their life, then they are the church of today. And I think one of the things Redwood has done really well from the beginning, you heard that story of having the kids read Scripture and, and being patient to let them sound out the words. But even this morning, we had people of all different ages up in front leading. I, I believe that if we want our kids and our grandkids to be a part of the church after they graduate from high school, they've got to be an active part of the church now, whatever, whatever, wherever they are age-wise, they need to be a part. And so please be patient with the next generations and get them up in front. But advice to the church is, we heard it already, get out of your own way. This is God's church. Jesus died for this church. The least we could do is get out of his way and say, we're on board. And and let's just keep things going. I I am excited to see where we're going to go. And and, uh, if I live long enough, maybe I'll get to be one of those old people in that next video. (laughs) Oh, wait, I already am. uh... Well, Bob,
0: as as somebody, you came in and kind of followed that initial wave and and were able to build on the foundation that Wayne Osborne started. Mm -hmm. And and now as somebody who's coming in kind of in in a third or a fourth wave, building upon what has been... Built upon that foundation, I know I'm grateful for for what has been done in the past here to help us get to the to the future. And so, so uh, for me personally, thank you from from yeah. behalf of the church. Thank you for all that you have done in the past and are continuing to do uh, for Redwood here today.
6: We're excited to be a part of that
0: So as we we look forward kind of talking about the past a little bit. But I want to take a couple minutes to wrap up today and just talk about where we're going and how we're going to get there. More in particular, how we're going to get there. Uh, because as, as where we're going, that's kind of what God's going to reveal to us in the future. But we've seen there's an incredible foundation here. Some incredibly faithful people and some incredibly committed people here. And, and my hope is that another 40 years pass, that there's a new generation, a new crop of people coming in and doing this same thing. And what they're honoring, what they're celebrating is what this generation has, has helped them accomplish. And I'll be honest, I hope the next pastor that follows me is able to take this church beyond what I can do. And the next guy that follows him and the next guy just so on and so forth and that our kids that come up through this in the next generation thrive to a level that we can't even imagine because of what this generation has helped To lay the foundation for, because we're following a pretty good foundation already. How do we do that? How do we grow and become a great, successful church in the future? I'll be very honest if I had the answer to that, I'd probably have a best selling book out, because every pastor in America would want it. We don't know. But here's what I can tell you we're gonna do moving forward. As long as I'm here, as long as, as the leadership we have is going, here's what we're going to do moving forward to, to try and grow and continue to become a great church. Number one, we have to have a clear vision. We have to have a clear vision. Uh, we say this on a regular basis. Our mission here is to help people say yes to their next step, whatever that might be, wherever you are. If you're visiting with us, we believe that, that we're all on this walk with God, and we all have a step to take. Maybe your next step is your very first step, Maybe your, your, your next step is saying, okay, I think I'm interested, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. Maybe you've been walking for a while and your next step is baptism, Maybe your next step is ministry, it's, it's serving. Whatever it is, we feel it's important that we help you say yes to it. And one of the reasons I repeat this as often as I do, it's not because I'm trying to be a broken record, it's because I want it to sink in. That's how important it is to me, that's how important it is to us as leaders, and we want it to be important to the rest of the church as well. If you serve as a greeter, you serve in our kids, our youth, our, our, our music team, production team, whatever, I want that ingrained so if somebody comes up to you and says, what's Redwood all about, you can tell them, hey, we exist to help people say yes to their next step. And it just trickles down. And to do that, uh, we we've kind of clarified this into six areas. Uh, six, six areas that we value maybe a little more than others. And that's not to say that this is the only six ways to be a Christian, but, but we feel are maybe the most important parts of it. And, and we came up with specific uh, phrases for it. And we had a sermon series on it earlier in the summer. And we, we put them on the back of your program because we want them visible. We want you to see them. We want you to know what they are. And so that as you're learning what it means to say yes to your next step, you're understanding who we are, that we relentlessly pursue a deeper transforming relationship with God, that that we genuinely practice authenticity in our worship, that we passionately love others as ourselves, that we eagerly serve others, we actively participate in community, and we boldly invest in the next generation. Now, there's some pushback sometimes when churches start talking about vision statements or mission statements or strategies, and there's this, this pushback like, oh, we don't want to become a business, we're getting a little too corporatized here, and I think there's this mindset of it's this 21st century, you know, megachurch model, that that's what they're doing, So so that's what we're going to do. That's not the case. Jesus did this, so we're doing this. When Jesus started his ministry, he strolled into this town called Capernaum, And in Matthew chapter 4, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everything Jesus did in his ministry was with that mindset. He was preparing his world for the coming kingdom of God. So he had a vision, he had a mission, and then later in his life uh, on earth, as his earthly ministry came to a close, he handed off the reins of the ministry to the apostles, and he gave them a mission statement and a vision going forward when he told them, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. In other words, as you do ministry, make sure you're hitting those points. Make sure you're doing those things. When you have a clear vision, you have alignment. And when you have alignment, everybody's moving together in the same direction. And when we do that, we maximize our resources, we maximize ourselves, and we're able to accomplish more together than we can as a group of individuals. So we have to have a clear vision. Number two, we have a commitment to keep a Christ-centered message. As 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 a teacher, as a preacher, this falls on me every week, but I hope it trickles down to you all as well. Matthew, uh, sorry, John chapter 12, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Translation, when it's about me, Jesus says, people will be drawn in. Because then it's not about you. And, and that's, that's a true statement uh, that Jesus makes. You probably figured this out if you've been around here uh, for a while, a while, since I've been here. I don't get up and preach a soft, easy-to-follow sermon all the time. Uh, I like to preach a message that's going to challenge you. And I'll be very honest, as I'm preparing sermons almost every week, I'm kicking myself in the pants saying, you're not qualified to preach this. Because Jesus challenges us. And my goal is to become more like Jesus. And let's be honest, Jesus is way up here, I'm way down here. This is only because this is how far my arms can reach, okay? I am trying to get up here, but I'm never going to get all the way up here. I'm going to keep trying though. You see, when I, when I worship a Jesus that looks just like me and talks like me and thinks like me, I'm not worshiping Jesus at all. I'm worshiping myself. So what I wanna do is push myself to, to get closer and closer to Jesus. And part of that is understanding what Jesus means when he talks about love. Love exists in this tension, or this, this balance, if you will, between grace and truth. Imagine you got a rubber band. You can't hold a rubber band in one set of fingers and it accomplished what it needs to accomplish. You've got to stretch it out. And on one side you've got grace, on one side you've got truth, and love exists in the balance of that, in the tension of that. If I preach a message that's nothing but truth and no grace, I'm preaching legalism. Follow this or get out, that's legalism. If I'm preaching grace and no truth, it's anything goes. Do whatever you want, it's okay. But we have to uh, remember that love exists in that tension and that's kind of what it means to preach a gospel-centered message, a Christ-centered message, to become more like Jesus every day. And number three, we continue to put an emphasis on changed lives. That's what it's all about. Second Corinthians 5, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. As Bob mentioned a minute ago, one of the ways that this church does that and has done that is by sending people out into the ministry. I ask this too, if you once upon a time were a part of this church or were on staff at this church and you've gone out into ministry in other areas, would you stand? <laughs> this is just a small little group here. I mean, what, what are we guessing? 40, 50 type people at least? That's the best ballpark we can come up with and that's probably under. Like at least 40 or 50 people over the history of this church have been sent out into ministry. Uh, Bob talked about uh, the church over in Medford. They basically said, okay, one-third of you guys, you're going to go launch this new church. Man, that is faith. That is amazing. If we do that, I'm hand-picking the third that leaves. But if we... (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm sort of joking with that. You notice who's laughing? The pastors in the room. (laughs) <laughs> but man, that's, that's a secure, faithful church that can say, okay, from here over, you guys go start this new church, because we know we can be more impactful in two places than in one. Man, that's amazing, and, and you've heard me say this. This church, it cannot grow at the expense of the kingdom. It cannot grow at the expense of the global church. If, if our numbers just skyrocket, and we're at 500 people a week, and then maybe we're at a 1,000 people a week, but the other churches in town have dwindled, man, we haven't accomplished anything. All we've done is just misplace people. We have to grow along with the rest of the kingdom. And one of the ways we can do that is by sending people into ministry, whether that's sending out pastors to other churches. We just did that a few weeks ago. Or whether that's taking some of our high school kids and say, man, I'm kind of interested in Bible college. Why can you tell me? And we teach them more about Bible college, and we show them, okay, here's what you want to do. If you want to walk to the ministry, here's some steps to get to that point. We have to grow along with that, and we do that by putting an emphasis on changed lives. It's great to come and do days like today where we honor the past. And we look at those generations who helped lay the foundation for the church. But we have to be very careful, because we can never make the past more important than the future. We can't. If we're gonna do that, if we're gonna make the past more important, man, we just need to go ahead and close our doors, change our sign and put museum out there, because that's what we are. And I'm, be, I'm being honest with that. We can't make the past more important than the future. We can't make yesterday more important than tomorrow. Yesterday is a memory. We can cherish it. We have to understand today's a gift and we can we can savor that, but tomorrow is a mystery. And all we can do is prepare for it. And make sure we're ready for it. And the way we do that is to keep God in front. As long as we keep following him, we keep following Christ and trying to be more like Jesus, we're going to be fine. One of my my favorite mentors in life, he had this saying, one of the great ways to be successful is you keep the main, this is the main thing, is to keep the main thing the main thing. We keep God in front and we're going to be good for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, and I am so thankful for just the heritage and the legacy of this church, so thankful for just those strong families, those strong, committed believers who followed you, who said yes to you, who committed to starting a church for you, because they saw a need to be here in this community, Just, just a strong body of believers. So God, we're so thankful for them and their faithfulness, but also God, your faithfulness to this church over the years. Because we know it's only because of you, only because you can do so much more than we can imagine that this church was able to grow. So God, I ask that you would continue to give us as leaders, give me as a leader, that same mindset, God, that I would continue to follow you and I would strive and desire to follow you more so that I can show others how to follow you more too. God, and I ask that same mindset would spread throughout this room. So God, we love you, and we're so thankful for this church. We're so thankful for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.